With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A quick backstory. I work at a gas station on a main route. We see a lot of travelers passing through. Only one person works each shift, and it's a 24-hour store. We are short-staffed, so I agreed to an overnight. I'm female, and I work in a state that's always had its self-serve gas stations. So one night this guy comes in, and I asked him if he needed any help. He says no. He's getting gas at the pump, but just needs to use the bathroom. I go back to work on whatever invoices that we got yesterday. The guy uses the bathroom and then goes back outside. About five to seven minutes later, he comes back inside and tells me that he's confused about the pump. He directly says, You might have to come outside and help me. Customers don't often say this. They usually just complain that it's not working. So immediately, I'm feeling weird about this guy. I shake it off because he kind of looks like a nerd and I don't feel afraid of him really. I glance at the register to see what errors came up for his pump. There's no error. The register doesn't even say it was in use. Even if someone tried to pay and nothing's wrong with their payment, it will at least say payment or loyalty time doubt. It literally had no sign of him trying to use it before asking me for help. So I just ask him if he wants to pay inside. He agrees to this. He gets his wallet out of his car and then pays $10. I give him a receipt and he says, Can you help me? I, I don't understand the machine. Again I say, we really aren't allowed to leave the store during overnight shift. It's just me here and it's not safe to go outside. He proceeds to say, I don't understand what it's asking me. I need help. I'm not scary. I tell him again that I can't go outside because it's store policy for the overnight shift to say. And then I tell him, it's not that you're scary, I just can't go outside. I would have to tell the same thing to a little old lady asking for help at this hour. Which, it is true. We can't even take the trash out during overnights. He starts to walk away from the register counter. Then again, stops the door. Asking me one last time to come outside and help him. Now at this point, I'm pretty annoyed. I've said no twice now. I'm not going. Stop asking. So I finally say in a super annoyed tone, Okay, all you need to do is 1. Pick up the nozzle. 2. Select fuel grade button. And 3. Put it in your tank and squeeze the handle. I'm not going outside. He finally goes back to his car. And the register tells me he has no trouble pumping the gas. His plates also seem like they're from the state that I work in. This kind of thing normally wouldn't make me suspicious, but the fact that he originally opted for me to go outside instead of bringing money inside is just weird. Along with how he didn't bother to use the pump before he came inside to ask for help, claiming it wasn't working, and him not taking my first no for an answer, no means no. So to the potential gas station abductor, it's not meet again.
In 2007, I was a freshman going on sophomore in college, and my brother Martin was still in high school. We have two much younger siblings, so at the time, they were both elementary school age. My parents decided to take a cruise for their 20th wedding anniversary that year, so my brother and I were voluntold to watch my younger brother and sister Cole and Charlotte. My brother's best friend Christian stayed with us a while while my parents were gone, and he helped us plan out fun activities with the younger siblings. One idea that they were really excited about was a camping trip, as my family wasn't really the outdoorsy type. Their eyes lit up at the prospect of cooking our dinner over a campfire and fishing in the stream. Since it was early summertime, we had the great luck of warm but not too hot weather and a beautiful clear sky for stargazing. Finally packed and ready to go for that somewhat long drive into the mountains, we checked into our campsite before dark and Cole and Charlotte helped us to set up the tent. It was strange but there was no other people at this campground which was unusual for this time of year. Once we finished dinner, my younger brother and sister were ready for sleep, so Martin, Christian, and I stayed awake a little longer, just catching up and getting things ready for the next morning. Suddenly, a white Astro van pulled up into the camping spot directly next to ours. He had dozens to choose from, but chose to park right next to us. Oh well, Christian said, at least we have company now. He called out a quick hello to our new neighbor, but got no response back. I don't know why, but I got an uneasy feeling almost immediately, but just decided to push it aside and continue to get the fishing poles ready for the following morning, then put the food away for the night to ward off the bears and other wild animals. Over the next hour or so, things began to get weird. The man that parked next to us got out of his van to just sit at this picnic table with only a small fire. From our roaring fire, I could see that he was looking over directly at us. However, his fire died out completely several minutes later. He just continued to sit there. I could feel him staring, but I couldn't see his face anymore. He was just sitting there, breathing. Christian and Martin noticed that I was beginning to get uneasy. and They also picked up on how creepy the situation had started to become. Martin whispered to me, Why is he breathing like that? I don't feel safe anymore. I told Christian and Martin that I was going to stay awake because I don't trust this guy. As soon as they moved from the fire into the tents, the man rose from the picnic table and started to move toward us. I immediately called out hello and again got no response from him. Finally, in a whim of panic, I demanded that we all pack up and get the hell out of here and go home immediately. Christian and Martin got out of their tent and saw the figure of the man just standing there staring at us, continuing to breathe hard. We tried to stay as quiet and as calm as possible while we packed up, also trying not to alarm Cole or Charlotte during the process. Finally throwing everything in the trunk, we just drove away, not looking back. But before leaving the site itself, I asked if we could go to the check-in area at the lodge and see what the hell was going on and if they knew anything more. What was this guy's deal? To my surprise, there was no one else registered at that campsite that evening. The story doesn't end there, though. About six months later, I was in my sophomore year of school when a local hiker went missing a county over from where we camped and where I went to college. 
She was doing some normal hiking with her dog. Sadly, she turned up several months later. She'd been murdered and found in a white Astro van. When the news released the photos of the van and the man's face, I knew who it was. I got a call from my brother and his friend. They recognized the man too. We came to find out that this wasn't his first murder. And several years later, he became known as the National Force Serial Killer. I sincerely mean when I say that I'm an incredibly cautious camper now because of this encounter. Thinking that it could have been us or my younger siblings still gives me nightmares to this day when I think about it. We recently had a reunion, Christian, Martin, and I, and we talked about what happened to us more than 10 years ago. It's amazing how we all remember the details, as they're etched into our memories forever. So to that creepy, heavy-breathing, would-be serial killer, never ever meet again. When I was about 10 or 11 years old, I shared a room with my brother, who was around 15. We both live in the suburb area of New York. Not the greatest area, but not riddled with crime. There are two windows in my room, one that overlooks the backyard and one that connects to the front porch. It comes in quite a handy for my brother to sneak out and meet his friends. If you step on the window, you are on the porch, so anyone on the porch can access this window. I was never bothered by that thought because quite honestly, it's never even crossed my mind. My bed was touching this window while my brother's bed was perpendicular to mine. It was an odd setup, but that's really beside the point. Now this was before we had any sort of smartphones or laptops to keep ourselves occupied. So on nights when we weren't sleepy, we would stay up talking to one another, making up dumb games to pass the time. The event I'm about to tell you about took place during the summer. We stayed up into the late hours of the night, perks of having no school. It was probably around 2am and eventually we were playing a game where one of us was a goalkeeper and the other was taking a shot. We would both say at the same time, either left, center or right. If the goalkeeper guessed the same as the one taking the shot, he would get a point. And if the person taking the shot set a position other than what the goalie said, they would get a point. We went for a couple of rounds and I was beating his ass at this, even though it's irrelevant. I don't remember what round we were on, but we did our 3, 2, 1 countdown. And my brother, the goalkeeper, said left, and I, the shooter, said center. Then a voice from outside the porch window said, Left. Me and my brother froze. We had the shade down, but my mom had left the porch light on so that that was the only thing illuminating our room. The dim porch light coming in from the borders of the shade. At the time in my house, my mother was on the opposite side of the house, my sister the room over, and my dad in the basement. So me and my brother were shitting our pants practically. We waited for what seemed to be like an hour, but was probably only 30 to 45 seconds. We hear a giggle and a playful knock at the window. Hey, let's go another round. Come on, boys. The voice said in this cheerful, playful tone. 
Honestly, I want to say it was a scary voice and sounded menacing, but it wasn't. It just sounded like a woman not too old, but young enough. Just normal. Like a normal sounding voice, nothing off about it besides where it was coming from and the time it came. Me and my brother were seriously freaked out. I was about to break down because of how close this woman was actually to us. The thought that all I had to do was lift the shade, and I'd be face to face with this person scared the shit out of me, and made me go as still and stiff as if I just looked into Medusa's eyes. After a while of me and my brother not responding, my brother slowly moving from his bed to the door as if to not make any noise. As my brother was tiptoeing to the door, the sound of nails being ran down a window started. It was very slow, from top to bottom. At that point, my brother made it to the door. He looked back at me and brought his fingers to his lip, gesturing for me to keep quiet. Once the nails stopped running down my window, I heard her light footsteps make their way off my porch and disappear into the night. I laid there for what felt like an eternity, not moving until my brother returned with my mother, and I saw her move hastily by my door, making her way to the front door. The porch light flipped off, and I was left in darkness with my brother waiting in the doorway for my mother's return. I heard my mom call my dad up the stairs and his groggy, annoyed footsteps coming up. They talked and then came into me and my brother's room and we relayed what had just happened. Apparently, my mom caught sight of the lady turning out of our driveway behind some tall bushes. Thank God we had a long driveway. Otherwise, my mom probably would have thought we were just crazy. Considering no harm was done besides leaving me terrified of my window, my parents didn't call the police. They just thought it was really weird and stayed up the rest of the night to make sure that she didn't return. I'm 17 years old now. My brother is in college, so I have this room all to myself. My bed still touches the window because I'm too lazy to move the rest of the furniture in my room so I can move my bed. The shade to that window has not been open since that incident Probably never will. This story is from a childhood friend who told me this and it still unnerves me to this day. She was genuinely freaked out and her family even backed up this claim. So here you go. So basically, my friend and her family moved into this rental property, which my friend said was haunted. It gave everyone this awe feeling. Those who visited and stayed over would mention it themselves. I myself experienced this odd feeling of foreboding whenever I went over there and believed in the consensus that the house was indeed haunted. It honestly felt oppressed, and you would just feel this pitiful dread. It's hard to put into words. It was just extremely uncomfortable to say the least. Anyway, now on to the event that is the basis of this post. It was enough for my friend's family to pack up and stay with relatives until they moved out permanently. On that fateful afternoon, my friend had arrived back home from a park and heard an argument taking place in the kitchen between her mom and dad. My friend thought this was odd as both of her parents should be at work, so she called out to her mother, Mom, before unlocking the front door and going inside. My friend said the house fell instantly silent, an uncanny silence like the air had been sucked out of the place. It felt stifling and just wrong, 
Then her mom said, Hey, we're just in here. My friend was just outside the closed kitchen door at this point and froze before opening. This was indeed her mother's voice, but something was off. Like the cadence was missing that actually made it her mother. It sounded flat and unnatural. My friend decided to bolt back out the front door and just wait outside until her brother came home. She said as soon as she turned her back to the house, she saw her mother peering at her from the lounge room window, but it wasn't her mother. The face was the same. Everything was the same, but her face was devoid of anything that made it her mother. There was no recognition on her mother's face. There was no indication that she was even looking directly at her daughter. There was no emotion in the expression. Nothing. The eyes looked back unstaring and utterly blank. My friend screamed and ran down the street to her mother's work and confirmed that she was there this whole time and had never been home. Initially, my friend's mother reasoned that someone must have broke in, but a later investigation proved that nothing had been stolen and the back door was locked, as was the front door when my friend came home. No one could rationalize who my friend saw in that window and why it looked so much like her mother. So that was the deciding factor to nope the hell out of there and find somewhere else to live. The landlord of the house denied anything like this happening when they lived there, but did admit that tenants didn't stay long, saying there was something wrong inside that house. My friend also told me that she was the only one who actually saw anything definitively sinister while living in the house. But her family all said they definitely agreed that they felt an evil presence there, which ultimately manifested into the doppelganger experience that my friend had. Utterly terrifying. I've told this story probably over a hundred times, and despite being the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me, I've come to appreciate that it makes for a great story, so I figure I'll share it with you all here. I'll start by saying that I've always hated going camping. My parents sent me to summer camp every year in Colorado, which involved at least one camping trip into the woods. Despite these trips, I always resented them. The heavy bag, the lack of toilets, the spiders that always found their way into my tent. When I turned 16 and became a camp counselor in training, my distaste for the whole experience briefly changed. At that age, we were only a few years older than the oldest campers, but we were given considerable leeway in what we were allowed to do. Most nights, we would have to stay in the cabin with our campers, but it was rumored that the camping trip was a time where counselors in training would get drunk and smoke weed and hook up with each other after everyone else went to sleep. What I didn't know, however, was the events of that camping trip would soon dissuade me from ever going camping in the woods ever again. The trip itself began as any other. Altogether there, there was probably 30 people on the trip, four counselors in training, four counselors, and around 20 or so boys and girls between the ages of 13 and 14. Walking in a single file line up and down the various trails, you can hardly hear any sounds of the nature over the conversations and laughters of said campers. Several hours went by. We made our way through a dense marshy area and up a steep incline populated with evergreens and aspens. I myself wasn't the most athletic kid, so 
It was around this point that I found myself at the back of the line, with one of the other counselors in training Jordan, as well as two other campers who were also struggling to keep up. The four of us began chatting. In our distracted state, we began to fall more and more behind the rest of the campers, until the last of them faded out of view around a bend about 50 feet up the way. Unconcerned, we kept walking at the same slow pace, but after 30 minutes or so, the trail started to level off, and I began to feel increasingly anxious. Not only had the rest of the group disappeared ahead of us, but we had entered a stretch of completely dead evergreens, half of which looked scorched by a wildfire, and the other half appeared to have been killed by disease. The eeriness of the landscape was punctuated by a small derelict cabin sitting in the middle of the scorched forest. Seemingly untouched by the fire that must have spread through that area, we were so enraptured by the scene that one of the campers screamed when a twig broke behind us. Jordan and I started laughing a bit, but we quickly stopped when we turned to look where that sound had come from. Not 20 feet behind us was this haggard looking man with a messy nest of black hair and a long black beard slowly making his way up the trail with his eyes locked upon us. He didn't appear to have any hiking supplies on him. We had no idea how long he'd been walking behind us either. Being young, we were naturally pretty freaked out, but Jordan managed to give the guy a slight wave before saying to the rest of us, Come on, let's speed up and get back with the rest of the group. As we turned to continue our way up the path, the man mumbled a question that was hard to hear, and I was shocked when Jordan turned around to ask the man to repeat himself. The man muttered again slightly louder this time. Going camping? Jordan answered the man that yes, we are going camping, which he smiled slightly before stating in a creepy and ominous voice, Better be careful. We nodded and gave a half-hearted thank you before continuing on our way to try to find the rest of the group, this time with a much faster pace. Although the man had been walking up the same trail as us when we saw him, he didn't continue, but instead just stood there in the middle of the trail, watching us, as we made our way back up the winding path and disappeared from his view. Finally, we managed to catch up with the rest of the group who had all been waiting for us, we told the adult counselors about our interaction with that strange man. They shrugged it off, telling us the guy probably lived in that cabin and just wanted to know what we were doing near his property. Still, I felt unnerved by that encounter. When we finally arrived at the campsite, I couldn't shake the feeling that that man had somehow followed all of us. Eventually, though, I put it out of my mind and managed to enjoy myself a little bit. Everyone else had gone to bed. Jordan and the other counselor in training from the boys' cabin had brought out two warm Mike's hards that they'd stolen from the counselor's quarters, and I took out a joint that I'd stashed away for this exact occasion. To avoid getting in trouble, we decided to hike out into the woods a bit to smoke the joint. We made our way to the edge of the river where we washed our pots and pans earlier in that day. The spot itself was eerily silent. I thought of the man from earlier kept popping into my head. Assuming that I was just cold, not anxious, Jordan gave me his blue hoodie, and this prompted one of the other girls to suggest that we switch tents for the night, and she could sleep in the same tent as the other boy. I had absolutely no problem with this, and after smoking the joint, we made our way back to our own separate tents. 
which were pitched slightly away from the others. We discreetly sipped on those Mike Carters while telling each other scary camping stories. Some time passed. One of the boys was in the middle of telling a rather muddled story that he was clearly making up on the spot when he suddenly just stopped. In the silence, we could hear what sounded like footsteps crunching on pine needles about 40 feet away, near one of the other campers' tents. As we strained to listen to what was going on, the noises stopped, and even though we assumed it was just one of the campers getting up to go to the bathroom, we stoned and hopped up from the scary stories. We all decided to call it a night and go to our tents. Jordan followed suit and we awkwardly made our way before eventually just going to sleep. I don't know what time it was. Must have been quite late. I suddenly woke up to the distinct sounds of footsteps walking around or near our tent. Shot with adrenaline, I tried to lay as still as possible and quiet my breathing. From the sound, it was apparent that someone was less than three feet away from the front of our tent, seemingly pacing back and forth. I turned to wake up Jordan, but I was immediately put at ease when I saw that he wasn't next to me. Assuming Jordan was the one that I'd been hearing, I closed my eyes and was just beginning to drift back off to sleep when I heard the tent unzip. I felt Jordan lie down next to me after a few moments and put his arms around me and began to spoon me. After nearly drifting off to sleep again, I realized I had to go to the bathroom and muttered something about having to go pee before beginning to unzip my sleeping bag. Seemingly annoyed by the noise, Jordan lazily turned over, pulling his hoodie up over his head before going still again, quietly so not to wake him. I unzipped the tent and quickly scanned the campsite for any movement, comforting myself that Jordan had just gone pee and was fine. I put my shoes on and began making the trek across the campsite to the designated pee zone. I just made it to the area and pulled my pants down when I heard rustling coming from the campsite. As if someone was rummaging through our supplies and our bags. Still slightly drunk, I tried to pull my pants up, and in my haste, I lost my balance and tried to catch myself with a branch that made this loud snapping noise when I grabbed it. I tried to gather myself as quietly as I could, but when I finally managed to look up, I could see that there was a figure making its way across our campsite in my direction. Before I could even think, I was blinded by the bright light of a flashlight shining directly into my eyes, and the light was getting bigger, so whoever it was, they were coming toward me. Frozen and panicked, the figure got 10 feet away from me before I heard Jordan's voice say, Sorry, it's just me. I breathed a sigh of relief. But then Jordan asked me something that really confused me. Have you seen my blue hoodie? I know you gave it back to me, but I think one of the campers might have stolen it from my bag while I was sleeping. After a brief pause, I managed to stutter out. But you were just wearing it when you got back in the tent. What he said next made my blood run cold. What are you talking about? He said. It's been missing since we got back from the river. I even went down there to see if I'd left it by accident, but still couldn't find it. Thought I'd check the boys' bags, and that's when I saw you. My confusion quickly turned to sheer terror as I realized the man who got into the tent with me just moments prior was not Jordan. Sensing that something was wrong, 
Jordan asked me what happened. I managed to get out that whoever stole his hoodie was now sleeping in our tent. Not believing me, Jordan insisted on walking back to the tent to check it out for himself. As slowly and as quietly as possible, we made our way back to the side of the tent. While Jordan flipped on his flashlight and shone it through the nylon lining, he let out a high-pitched scream. We both could see the clear outline of a man's shadow, lying still inside the tent. What happened next is a bit of a blur. We ran to the pod of tents on the other side of the campground where the older counselors were sleeping and frantically unzipped their tent, yelling for them to come out that there was a man inside our tent. I remember panic setting in as our counselor slowly and groggily woke up, but after a bit more frantic yelling, they finally managed to understand the severity of the situation when a commotion broke out on the other side of the camp, near our tent. By the time they ran to the scene, however, they only found an unzipped tent and a bunch of our things littered on the ground that the man had apparently knocked over or thrown during his escape. After that, we heard the counselors radioing back down to camp to call the police, and we could tell that they were just as scared as we were. I don't think any of us slept after that. Luckily, we only had to wait a few hours for the sun to come up, and by that time, a few of the other counselors had arrived with guns to escort us back to camp. On our way back down, one of the campers found Jordan's jacket tied around one of the trees on the path, like some kind of marker. Needless to say, he didn't want it back, and we just left it there. To this day, I still can't say for certain if that man in the tent was the same guy that we ran into earlier on the trail. His face, and that night itself, still haunt me. This past Monday, my co-workers and I returned to our hotel after a day of work in the field. Rebecca and I walked to our rooms, and as we stood outside of them, I opened up mine and saw someone inside my bathroom. I said, Hello? Nobody answered. My first instinct was that it was probably just the cleaning lady in there for some reason. And then, I saw my bag with my clothes in her hands. So I said to my coworker, there's a woman in my room. Then I asked the woman, hey, what are you doing with my stuff? The story gets a little fuzzy here because I can't remember everything that I said in the moment that I said it. She just kept mumbling about how her key still worked, how it still worked and that's how she got in. I was in shock. She was obviously very flustered having been caught mid-robbery. She dropped my bags and fumbled around with her purse in a white plastic bag. By this time, my coworker was behind me, watching all of the insanity unfold. The woman was scrambling and walking toward the door and I said, what's in the bag? Thinking it was probably my stuff and she said, no, no, it's, it's just my things, it's just my things, I'll show you. And so she did. I looked and I actually didn't see anything of mine. So since I'm obviously still in shock, I just let her leave. I went into my room and it's been ransacked. I did a quick glance over just to see if anything had been taken. All of my electronics were still there. Then I went to the bathroom and saw my underwear, my bikini, and my clothes shoved into my own bags randomly. 
Even my passport was shoved in there too. I then looked over on the counter and saw that she'd gotten into my medication. In the moment, I'm not really sure what was going through my head, other than I just wanted it back. So I quickly ran out the door to go find her. I ran to the laundry room downstairs and out to the sides of the hotel and see her anywhere. Quickly realized I was never going to find her. So my coworker and I went down to the lobby to tell them what had happened and we called the police. We went back up to my room to wait and I noticed that there's this metal bat laying on my bed, a little larger than those novelty wooden bats that you can get at a baseball game. And there's also a flashlight on the end of it. She must have left it behind in her hurry. She also left behind a necklace that must have fallen out of her bag when she was scrambling with mine. I was mostly freaking out at this point because I'd thought she'd gotten away with my medication that I really needed. The police ended up getting there and took our statements and looked around the room as well. One thing that I did notice is there were bits of drywall on the sink and I pointed that out to the police but none of us really knew where it was coming from. We started looking at the door and the windows to see if she'd pried her way in somehow. There was nothing. So we kind of just went with the idea that she had a spare key or something, even though the hotel front desk was adamant that there's no way that that could be. The officer that came had brought two more officers as backup because they thought the woman might still be in the vicinity. But after our statements were taken, there's nothing else they could really do, so they just left. I sat down to finally make some calls to tell people. So I'm on the phone, looking at the drywall and the mirror on the wall right above it. Then it hit me. I got my coworker and asked her to help me pull this mirror off the wall. We took the mirror down, and there's a hole just big enough for a desperate junkie to squeeze through. I asked Brian and Rebecca if I should call the cops again to let them know that I found this. And my boss said, there's still two cops in the parking lot. So I went down to tell them. The female cop kind of rolled her eyes, but the young guy said, I'll come check it out. They both came back up, looked inside the hole and found a pillow, blankets, cigarettes, clothes, and toothbrushes. This woman had been living in the wall behind the mirror for God knows how long. She had access to me and my room at all times. One of the officers called the original officer to come back and take pictures of this. She explained to him what was going on and all I hear over the radio is no f***ing way. He comes back, takes pictures, and is just as mind blown as the rest of us. Obviously, we packed up and left immediately. What's even crazier is she probably had been there for a long time. The last time we stayed at this hotel, I would randomly smell cigarette smoke and I assumed it was just someone smoking in their bathroom and maybe it was traveling through the vents. But nope, it was just some junkie smoking on just the other side of my mirror. She had access to other rooms too. The holes in the walls were from a renovation, and the hotel hadn't properly patched and just covered it up with the mirror. She could have been hanging out in people's rooms when they were gone. This is all just insane. I'm taking a little time off. We've all had bad dates, right? This is the only one I've had to date that rang every alarm bell and waved every single red flag. 
I'll preface this by saying I don't go on many dates as it is, but when I do, I make sure I follow safety protocols only by meeting my date in public places. I also let either family or friends know where I'm going to be and park in a populated place close to wherever we're supposed to meet. So this date initially suggested that we meet at his house to watch a movie and have a few drinks. I told him no, I don't feel comfortable with that and I only want to meet in public. At first he seemed okay with this, but then he brought it up a few more times. I asked if money was an issue, or if that was the case we could meet up another time or just forget about it altogether. On my date backtracked and went with my idea of meeting at a cafe that I chose. He turns up in a two door car, this detail is relevant, then goes into the cafe and I follow behind and introduce myself. After a very quick polite introduction, things get weird. After I order a coke, he says, Don't you want a drink? I was going to pop into the bar and get one. I say, No, I'm not drinking. And he just looks at me like WTF, as if I'm being unreasonable. I already explained in messages that I don't drink, as I'm on medication, so having to re explain it again kind of pisses me off. He seems disappointed and goes to order a cider from the bar while I get a table. We sit down with our drinks and immediately goes on about going back to his place again, even though the original plan was to stay here and order food, and I'd already stated previously it was not going to happen. He says something along the lines of having a few drinks and then just eating in his place. I said, no, we don't even have to eat, we can just have our drinks and then leave. He gets defensive and says he has money but prefers it if we go back to his. I make an awkward joke and say, you're not a killer or something are you instead of laughing it off he just stares at me and then says you don't think i would hurt you do you i laugh uncomfortably and say of course not but really i'm relieved this date won't be going any further he suddenly says are you gonna follow me in your car because that would make sense how about we go in my car i've got packages in the front so you have to squeeze in the back and i'll drop you back off to your car after in reality, that made less sense than me following him in my own car and then driving home from his house after. The fact that it was completely illogical made it even more creepy in my mind. Every alarm bell was going off at this point and I said, Look, I don't want to go to your house and your insistence is giving me the creeps. He looked shocked, mumbled about something about the toilet and excused himself from the table. A few moments later, I see him through the cafe window getting into his car and just driving off. Massive bullet dodged in my opinion. The fact that his car didn't have back doors made it even more sinister because imagine if something happened in the car, I wouldn't be able to escape. Someone suggested that I share this weird encounter in this group. I assure you this encounter is not fiction. It's completely real. I wish it was just so it would be easier to accept, but that isn't the case. This encounter happened in February of 2007. I used to work third shift at a paper stock factory warehouse. The main day shift supervisor was on vacation, so our boss on night shift decided she wanted to leave early so she let us sneak off about two hours earlier than normal, so this would have been between 4.30 and 5 a.m. 
I was following a coworker down this country road, as the warehouse was on the outskirts of my small rural town. I noticed that he hit his brakes, and then proceeded to swerve off the road. I'm probably about a thousand feet behind him, and I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is this dude doing? And that's when I saw it. There's this tall, dark shape strolling down the middle of the road, in a hunched over and swaying side to side sort of manner. I've likened it to one of those tall windblower figures you see swaying at a car dealership or something, moving like that, very unnatural movements. I can't do it justice by describing it, as it would only really make sense if someone saw it for themselves like I did. It looked like a tall person wrapped up in a dark blanket or cloak. I had to hit the brakes and swerve too, but I came to a full stop. Whatever it was, I couldn't make out any features or characteristics. I saw a large torso with two legs. The upper half was hunched forward, as if it was leaning like an older person, you know, would with a walker. Now at the time, I was driving a 1998 Ford Explorer. I've looked up the height of that vehicle, and it lists around 67 inches. Whatever walked past my driver's window was a good foot or more higher than that, leaning forward. I believe whatever was walking was over seven foot tall minimum. Again, I could not see a head, any arms, it was just a figure with legs walking. My taillights illuminated it as I started to drive past. I couldn't make out any definite details of the body. I didn't see fur, skin, or anything like clothing. It was just solid. Not like translucent or anything. Just large, thick, and black, or at the very least dark gray in color. My coworker had pulled over into the parking lot a little ways down the road, and I followed him in, and you could tell he was very scared. He was saying something along the lines of, What was that? It didn't have a head. Among a lot of other things most panicked people would say as well. We decided to drive back down and try to see if it's still there, and try to figure out what it actually is. This time I drove in front and he was following behind. We came up to the general area, and I noticed there was a large black animal laying in the middle of the road. It appeared to be some kind of big black dog. Part of me knew this wasn't large enough to be what was walking in the road, but we had to stop because it was directly in the middle of the roadway. I decided to get out and walk up to it, all the while my coworker is yelling at me to get back in my vehicle. As I approach whatever was laying in the road, it brings its head up and looks at me. Its eyes were glowing yellow, which I wrote off as a shine from the headlights, but it growls. I stop dead in my tracks and just watch. This thing stands up on its back legs like a person, but falls back down. It sits back up and hobbles off to the side of the road like a wounded animal that wasn't able to use its front legs. It looked like your typical German Shepherd wolf type face, but its fur was puffy like a chow dog's. It was a lot bigger than most dogs, but still nowhere as tall as whatever that was walking down the road. I saw no blood or wounds, so I can't really say if it was actually hurt or not. My coworker got out of the car at this point, after it had disappeared into the wood line. We discussed what the heck just happened, and while we were talking, I noticed next to our feet was a mouse. It was just standing there with us, but it was cleaning itself. I nudged it with my shoe and it just kept cleaning its face, as if it wasn't afraid of us at all. The mouse was sitting in an upright position, 
as it was on its hind legs, using its front paws to wipe itself. I never really considered it until recently that all three of these bizarre happenings was on two legs. We got back into our vehicles and drove off. And then the next time at work, I mentioned what had happened to our coworkers, and of course they all laughed at us. So the other guy who saw it told me if I didn't stop talking about it, he's just going to start denying it. And it's best to just forget about the whole incident. So for essentially 15 years, I've never told anyone up until now. I've tried to rationalize it into something that makes sense, but even then it doesn't completely add up. I've tried to explain it away as just a large dog that must have gotten hit by another vehicle before my coworker and I got there. Maybe it was messing around with the mouse and it got hit, which broke its front legs and that's why I was trying to use its back legs. The mouse was traumatized from the dog trying to mess with it, so it was just standing there cleaning the dog slobber off itself, I, I don't know. That's the most plausible thing. The dog was nowhere near as tall as that thing was though. Even with the dog standing upright, it was close to six foot roughly, but whatever was walking had to have easily been over seven foot tall, as it was so much taller than my explorer, even with it hunched forward. I can halfway rationally explain away the dog and the mouse, but I can't explain what that was. So I'm back at square one trying to understand what that could possibly be. As someone who's always been very skeptical, it's very hard to accept the unacceptable. I've always been interested in weird creatures and such, but I never really truly believed they existed. I still struggle to believe that all these crazy stories could be true, yet who am I to say that they aren't, especially with this weird scenario that my former coworker and I went through that night. All I know is I know what I saw, but whatever I saw is something I don't know and probably never will. I know how crazy it sounds, and I personally would be hesitant to believe it if someone else told me this story, but it happened. One time I went to the bar with one of my friends. I had just turned 21, so I hadn't been to many bars, at least up until that point. My friend was drinking on the way to the bar, so he was already pretty drunk when we got there. When I sat at the bar, a cute girl came up and started talking to me and my friend. She said her name was Candace, and I noticed she had a really, really bright red hair. I assumed that she dyed it. I mean, it was pretty, but unnatural. Anyways, this girl was flirting with me and my friend. I noticed that she could tell my friend was already very drunk. If I'm being honest, I played along like I was drunk already too, since it seemed to be working for my friend. I didn't know if she was just trying to get free drinks, so I just told her we didn't have much money. But then she offered to buy us drinks. She continued buying us drinks, and I was getting confused as to who she actually liked between me and my friend. My friend went to the bathroom. Before he came back, he was kicked out by the bouncers. He was too drunk. Candace and I went outside with him. She kept telling him to come home with her. He was so out of it, but he could even barely answer her. I told her he was too drunk, and I couldn't let him go anywhere. I didn't want him to wake up with a hangover in some random house with no car and no idea what happened. She kept pushing, though, saying that she would take care of him. But I told her no, because I had to stay with him. 
I was more sober than him and he was my responsibility. I told her the only way he was going anywhere was if I tagged along. I assumed she thought I was jealous or just cock blocking my friend, but my friend could barely stand at this point and he'd obviously lost interest in her. She immediately started flirting with me and then offered to get my friend a taxi to drive him home and then said we could go to her place alone. At this point, I'd had a few drinks, and I was pretty buzzed, so I agreed. We took my friend to the taxi and walked to her car. I slightly stumbled on the way, and she said, Wow, you're pretty drunk, huh? As she smiled and held onto my arm. Yeah, I said. I don't know why, but I just felt slightly shy and just anxious in the moment. Everything was happening too easy for me, so it felt uneasy. We get to her car and drove down the street. Want to stop at the liquor store and get some more to drink? I'll buy it, so don't worry about paying. She offered. I didn't want to drink anymore than I already had. I was already buzzed and wanted to be able to carry myself through the rest of the night. Sometimes I made myself look stupid when I'm drunk, so I didn't want to ruin anything with her more than I already did earlier, telling her my friend was too drunk. I told her I was already drunk enough, but she insisted. I didn't want to seem lame, so I told her to get me a pint of liquor with some apple juice to chase it. She went in the store and came out with a lot more than just a pint. I assumed that she wanted to drink more also, that's why she got a fifth instead of a pint. During the car ride, we passed the bottle back and forth, and she took these tiny little sips. I tried to take tiny sips, but she kept insisting passing me the bottle to take a drink. I somehow managed to drink all of my apple juice and just pretend to drink the bottle by spitting the liquor back in the apple juice bottle. I tossed the apple juice bottle full of liquor out the window before she saw it. I didn't want her to know that I was acting drunker than I actually was, and I think she believed that I was a sloppy drunk when I was just simply buzzed. I took a couple of more sips of liquor and then finished the bottle. Throughout the car ride, I called her the wrong name a couple of times to try to get a reaction out of her. She didn't react to it at all. She let me call her Carla without even correcting me. For some reason, I thought she lied to me about her name initially. We drove up to her house. I pretended to trip and stumble into her front door. She helped me inside by walking me and holding me up. She opened up her front door, which was unlocked. We walked into her house and she closed the front door and then locked it. I thought this was strange but assumed she didn't want anyone walking in on us. I told her that I had to use the bathroom so I walked into her bathroom, locked the door and then looked in the mirror. I just felt strange. I felt like something was just off. I felt myself becoming more drunk from finishing that bottle earlier. I turned on the sink to make noise and made myself puke up the liquor that I drank. I flushed and then went to the sink and started drinking the tap water out of my hands to help sober up. I just didn't want to be drunk but still wanted to hook up with Candace so I wanted to pretend to be drunk. I turned off the sink and I could hear her talking to someone. Yeah, he's drunk as hell, he can barely stand up. You do it. Who was she talking to and do what? I walked out of the bathroom and into the living room. The moment I stepped into the living room, I saw her walking into another room. 
All I could see was the back of her head. That strange, very bright red hair going to another room. I didn't see her face or anything. I just saw her kind of walk fast into the room. The living room was very dark. Hey, where are you going? I slurred like I was drunk. She walked back into the dark living room and up to me and said, Let's go in my room. I looked at her bright red hair and then into her eyes. They were different. Her face was different. It was another girl with the same hair. That's when I realized it was another girl with the same wig on. It was a wig the whole time. She had changed it with the other girl from earlier for whatever reason. My heart felt like it stopped, but I tried to look like I had no idea that it was a different girl. I kind of smiled at her, told her I needed to use the bathroom one more time, and that I was sorry I was just so drunk. She said, it's fine, just hurry up in there. I went into the bathroom and locked the door. I heard her whisper something to someone again this time. This time I think I heard a male voice whisper back. I honestly didn't concentrate on listening to exactly what was said. Something sketchy was going on and I had to get the hell out of that house. I opened up the bathroom window and jumped straight out of it and then ran faster than I'd ever ran in my entire life. I didn't look behind me or anything. I just ran through the backyard, jumped the fence, ran through someone else's backyard, hit a road and ran towards the main road. I kept running down the main road until I saw a 24 hour convenience store. I ran inside and stood straight at the front of the store in front of the camera. I called the taxi and went home. I tried to think about what happened that night. What was she, or they, planning that night? Why did she tell me a fake name? Why was she trying to get my friend and I so drunk? I thought maybe a robbery, but she kept spending money on us. She kept buying us drinks and even paid for my friend's taxi cab. Mostly, why did she wear a wig and then give it to another girl to wear? Who was she talking to? What did it all mean? And what was in that room they tried to lure me into? The next day after this incident, I went back to the house with a couple of friends just to see what was going on. No one was there. No cars, no people, nothing. Just an empty house. I ended up finding out that the house was a summer rental, and whoever those people were, they broke in and used it for that one night and that one night only, and then never came back. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.